We're all on a journey to reach our full potential and purpose. And no matter where you are on your path, know that we walk together and not alone. At the Mission Leadership Institute, we believe the path to leadership is self-discovery. To support you, we're bringing the most advanced thinkers in the country to help unpack all that we carry with us on this journey in leadership. Before we start, we want our listeners to know that the information provided during this podcast is for educational purposes only. You should always consult your healthcare provider if you have any questions regarding a medical condition or treatment. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Providence Walk With Me podcast. I'm your host, Martin Schreiber, with the Providence Mission Leadership Institute. Today, we welcome back Dr. Amir Hussein and Rabbi Mark Diamond. In part two of our conversation, we're talking about ways religions can connect and motivate us to care for all peoples. Okay, let's get started by welcoming back Amir and Mark. Well, I want to welcome everyone back to our second conversation with two very esteemed, I feel now, colleagues that we have uh, garnered a conversation around interfaith and the way that Rabbi Mark Diamond and Dr. Amir Hussein are both giving us these senses of how in healthcare we can open doors and we can begin dialogue. And I wanted to start with you, Dr. Amir, if that would be okay. And you recently said, I thought this was a beautiful quote when I did the research for our podcast. It's, I think what connects all religions is that they offer people a way of being in the world. What a meaningful way to activate your purpose in the world. How do you feel religion can positively impact caregivers today? Yeah, uh, thank you for that, Martin. Uh, I think for, for most of us who are religious, there's this sense of this is who we are. It's not, you know, your religious self is divorced from your political self or your work self or your family self, you know, there. Uh, I teach a comparative theology class this semester, and one of the books we're using is Jack Miles' Religion as We Know It, an origin story, where he talks about, you know, how did we come to study religion? How did we come to study different religions? Who's the we that came to to do all of this? And this is one of the things he talks about, that, that, that separation of religion from the other kinds of things that you do. Well, for traditional Jew, for traditional Muslim, for traditional Catholic, that's kind of hard, you know, because who you are is very much defined by the religion, like what you eat, who you eat with, when you eat, how you prepare yourself before you eat. That's just about eating. Forget about, you know, the, the prayer part, forget about other things. And I think that's really crucial. And, and I think I, as someone who grew up in Canada, you know, we talk about the healthcare system in Canada and that socialized medicine comes from a Christian background. You know, Tommy Douglas, who's really the father of, of this in Canada, came out of the social gospel movement where he believed it was his Christian duty echoing Matthew 25, to take care of his neighbor. Not his neighborly duty, his Christian duty. And I think that's really the key here, that, you know, your your, your faith for so many of us is, is really important. It, it, it's a key part of who we are. And that's one of the things uh, I love, I know Rabbi Diamond loves about being in this Catholic institution, Loyola Marymount University, where you're able to bring your full self. You don't have to check your religious self at the door and say, oh, we're just sort of secular or whatever whatever that means, you know, leave your leave your religion behind. That'd be like saying, well, leave your sexuality behind, leave your race behind, leave your ethnicity behind, leave your gender, you know, we, we can't, we come with our full selves, including our religious selves. And I think that's really, 
uh, uh, the key and, and that impacts, you know, folks, because that, that, that thing, and I'll stop here. What I talked about with Tommy Douglas from Matthew 25 of taking care of your neighbors, your Christian duty, the duty in the Torah about care for neighbor, the duty of the Quran for care for your neighbor, that sense, which is, a, I think, why so many, just looking at our two, three traditions, Muslims, Catholics, uh, Jews, go into healthcare because it really is this calling. It's our tradition that tells us, no, you, you take care of the sick. This is important. It really makes us feel like I want to share who I am rather than cut off certain parts of me. And it feels a lot of what you're talking about is integration, uh, to, to recognize these aspects of the beauty of who we are and, and to share that in the work that we do that, that could fill us. When I think, too, of uh, Rabbi Mark Diamond and, and some of the videos and the quotes that are out there, and I, I recommend all of our listeners to to watch them and, and to experience them because you really help uh, me understand the importance of passion for interfaith. And one of the things you guided over three decades has been to call us to appreciate what brings us together as well as what separates us. And are there opportunities for us now in healthcare to leverage interfaith dialogue as a motivating inspiration for caring for all peoples? Uh, thank you, Martin. It's, it's an important question and a wonderful question. Uh, yes, absolutely. There are many opportunities for healthcare providers to utilize interfaith dialogue uh, to help people care for people of all peoples. Uh, I teach my students that there are four primary models of interfaith dialogue. And I think all four have roles to play in healthcare settings. First, we have dialogues of understanding. When your chaplains and guest clergy teach texts from their respective faith traditions, texts about healing, comfort, and hope, when they discuss both the commonalities and the differences in these texts from their different faith communities uh, and how they could be helpful to your work. This is, these dialogues of understanding are important for your staff, for your patients, uh, for everyone. Then we also have dialogues of spiritual experience. You have chapels in your hospitals and medical centers. Uh, are they welcoming to people of different faiths? Do you have prayer cards you share upon request to patients of diverse religions? I know that your chaplains all have uh, CP, clinical pastoral education training, and they can and do help patients who want to pray in a variety of languages and faiths. And let's not forget the needs of your staff who are on the front lines of difficult life-saving decisions and may need the support of your chaplains. Think just back with, you know, the COVID pandemic and how brutal that was for our community and our world uh, and what a terrible toll it, paid, it, it took on, on healthcare staff. Caring for caregivers is a critical, critical part uh, of what you all do. Uh, there's a third model of interfaith engagement. It's what we call dialogues of action. Uh, as you well know, Martin, healthcare doesn't begin and end in your medical centers. Getting out into the community, mobile healthcare vans, programs that educate people about diabetes, about cardiac care, about COVID and other issues. These are all vital to promoting healthcare. And that's a fine opportunity for partnerships with churches, synagogues, mosques, and other religious centers. It's, that's really truly interfaith dialogue in action. <clears throat> And last but surely not least is the category we call dialogues of life. These are the regular everyday encounters that take place in your healthcare institutions. A Jewish doctor cares for a Muslim patient. A Catholic nurse cares for a Jewish patient. A Muslim physician cares for an evangelical Christian patient. 
and all three of these healthcare professionals sit together at a meeting of the hospital's ethics committee, wrestling with some of the most difficult issues. I years ago had the privilege of serving on the ethics resource committee, committee of Children's Hospital of Los Angeles. And as you well know, these are the toughest cases to deal with. Uh, and it is God's work. It is life-saving, important, difficult work. And when you bring different perspectives, Catholic, Jewish, uh, other Christian perspectives, Muslim, et cetera, Buddhist, uh, that brings great resources to the table. Uh, I believe that interfaith dialogue is a vital component of your mission of Providence Health. It teaches us that we are all created in the image of God. And it reminds us that our mandate, our mandate is to bring comfort, hope, and healing to all of God's children. So absolutely, yes, interfaith dialogue is vital to the work that you do and we do. Well, thank you for that. And I think it would be a very appropriate title for how we are today as a dialogue of life. Uh, that that really resonated with me and getting that out into the margins, not just having that be in a committee meeting, but how as you challenged us to go outside of the walls, to to go to the community and be people who listen to what really is being said, I think is extraordinary. And uh, one of the ways uh, as we uh, finish and think about uh, a certain other book, and that was a book that I thought I wanted to ask both of you about in, in terms of something of joy. And the Book of Joy that uh, both Desmond Tutu and we know His Holiness the Dalai Lama share their enduring friendship in it. And I feel that with the two of you, there's this somewhat uh, enduring friendship. I don't know who wants to claim who's the Dalai Lama and who wants to claim who's Desmond Tutu. You can do that on another time or that. Maybe we have to go and, and uh, do that together. But in our world, joy is not a common word in dialogue. What advice would you give to someone looking to cultivate more joy in their life? Dr. Amir, I'll start with you. Sure. And thank you for that. And that's a marvelous book there with Archbishop Tutu and the Dalai Lama. And I think, you know, part of it is, is joy is everywhere. It's an attitude with gratitude is the sort of trite saying there, you know, do, do you wake up thinking, oh, this is such an amazing place? Or do you wake up thinking this is horrible, you know, and, and you understand both things, you know, there's huge discrepancies, there's huge horrors, just the kinds of things with healthcare, like who has access to healthcare, who gets healthcare, you know, if the retrovirals and Paxlovid thing had been out two years ago, who would have lived to, you know, unfortunately passed away, you know, all, all those kinds of things. I think about that all the time, but, but I think just those small moments of joy and, and, and you take that, um, you know, there and, and I'm smiling because I'm thinking of this, this story of Rabbi Diamond talked about COVID, you know, the pandemic happens, we get, um, sent home. So all of a sudden I'm working at home. Uh, this is in March. Um, our next door neighbors at the time had uh, three kids. The boy was five. The girls were, the twin girls were three. And one day I see the boy, sort of, this is probably, so March, May. So it's like two months into the pandemic. And I see the boy sort of hanging around our apartment. And I was like, oh, hey, what's going on? What's happening? And, and you want to come in? Should I want to come in? And then I realized very quickly, oh, this kid's lonely because of course he's five and he's been sent home. So he has no friends. The only time he sees his friends is at school. So he's lonely. And we sort of take him in for about an hour, hour and a half. And then pretty soon his sisters come because his sister's wondering, where's our brother? And they sort of come over. And, and I think about this all the time that, you know, had COVID not happened, the girls would have been in daycare. The boy would have been in school. I would have been in school. 
we wouldn't have had this relationship with them. Well, ever since, you know, I'm, I now try to get home an hour early just so I can see the kids for an hour. And the, the girls are now five. And, you know, uh, two days ago being Valentine's Day and the, the younger of the twins, you know, makes me and my wife this beautiful Valentine's thing. And I'm like, this is the happiest thing ever. This is the greatest thing ever. And it's, it's, it's a little girl who's drawn like a Valentine's thing for you. And that's just this extraordinary joy. So it's a joy isn't, you know, I win $2 billion in the lottery or, you know, this kind of thing. Joy, joy is I get a hug from a five-year-old, you know, that's marvelous. And so I think those kinds of things, like you, you, you find the joy in the day-to-day and, and maybe that's the key here. And I'll turn to Rabbi Diamond that the joy isn't that, big, you know, I got a brand new car joy. The joy is I, I got a Valentine's uh, thing that a five-year-old drew for me. You know, that's on our wall. That's, that's, extra- you can see the, if you can see me, you can see the, the look of joy and uh, happiness on my face. That's what it takes. It's beautiful. It is. I want to echo what Dr. Hussein said. I think uh, we, we typically find joy in the company of family and friends. My wife and I drove across country at the height of the pandemic uh, to take care of our newborn grandson born just before the pandemic um, and eventually decided to, to move here to suburban New York City. I now have two beautiful grandchildren and a third one on the way next month. And there is nothing more joyful in my life than uh, being with my grandkids. Um, we take care of our granddaughter Monday to Friday. And um, there's nothing sweeter or more precious than spending time with a little one. They, they remind us of all the, the joy that there is in life, the joy of discovery, the joy of new things, the joy of the simple things of life that we often forget. I think that's terribly, terribly important. Um, again, I come back to Rabbi Heschel, who was fond of saying when he walked in New York City uh, in Riverside Park, look at the trees. Don't forget the trees. Right? Don't forget the, the, the beauty around us, nature around us, and we too often just walk right by and <clears throat> don't appreciate that. The other thing I want to add, Martin, is that joy, joy is really critical, but I would add purpose and meaning to that as well. Uh, I find my greatest joy comes from having a, a life of purpose and meaning, doing something that helps my fellow men and women. Uh, I always teach my students that um, you should leave this world having done something positive in this world, having changed something for the better. Um, Los Angeles is the city of angels. I teach my students, Los Angeles is very angelic, 30,000 feet up, or when I'm flying into LA, 5,000 feet. Los Angeles, like most other cities, isn't as angelic when it gets to be at surface level, right? Hunger, poverty, homelessness, people without health (laughs) care. Bring comfort and joy to people in a, in a lonely corner of your community that gives you joy and that spreads joy and love and meaning uh, to people around you. It's so wonderful to see that you finish with a sense of reality as well as a sense of angels uh, and in a city that knows tremendous struggles, right? We, we have not at all been outside of that situation, but that we all three of us from different faiths can come together on this dialogue of life. And that's what I have felt today from, from, from both of you. A- any final thoughts from, from either of you? This, this is 120,000 caregivers possibly uh, hearing this message. And I just wanted to uh, leave it to you if any, any final words from, from either of you. Well, I want to begin by thanking you for inviting uh, Professor Hussein and I on the broadcast on this podcast. I 
enjoy and relish every opportunity to be together with my friend and colleague, uh, Professor Amir. Uh, and beyond that, I want to thank the 120,000 people who may or may not hear this broadcast, but the work you do is is vital. It is critical. It is it is sacred work. It is God's holy work. And I have such enormous respect for what you and your colleagues do in the healthcare system. And please keep up the great work you're doing. Thank you. Yeah, and just following up on Rabbi Downing, exactly that. And you know, we can say this: the 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 three of us is you know, Catholics, Muslims, Jews, and other folks can as well. But this is God's work. You're you're doing. Uh, God's work. As I said uh, earlier, my best friend is a vascular surgeon. So I see the difference, you know, the, the real critical difference. Like it, it, his work literally is a matter of, of life and death. You know, my work is important. It is, isn't that that same thing, you know, that, that missed call, which means he doesn't operate, which means someone may die, is not the same thing that I have to deal with. And so I understand the the pressures and the pulls on the caregivers because it literally is that 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 life and death thing. But I think the other side of that is to is to think about just the uh, the positive value of that. As hard as it is, as difficult as it is, as tough as it is, when you come back from that that shift and things have gone wrong or the worst thing has happened and so and so has has, has passed on. You know uh, th- that sense of, but but who have you helped? Who have you been able to help? You know uh, during that that time, and I think that's really extraordinary that we can get focused on on the negative, but do we think about the positive? And 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 you know the, not to give people something to do, but there's a practice that I learned from from the Jewish tradition, literally of counting your blessings. Like you know, at the end of the week, just sitting down and thinking, okay, what am I thankful for? And then and, and you think about all those things. Oh, I, I have a home. I have shelter. I have food in my fridge. I have work that, that's meaningful. And then, you know, the kinds of things, oh, I saw this movie. Oh, I got this phone call. Oh, I got this Valentine's card from the little girl uh, next door. You know, I think those are the things that, you know, it's so easy to get caught up in the negative and forget the the hundred positive things happen and one bad thing happens. And what do we do? We focus on the bad thing. We don't think about the hundred positive things and so just know that for the the caregivers that are hearing this know that we see you know that we hear you know that we understand you know the extraordinary work that we're doing and how thankful we are for what you do dr hussein i want to thank you for that it sounds as if we have uh, closed this book of blessing and we now send people off to to find in in that community the way that we can experience the joy that we talked about today and and rabbi mark darman again wonderful to be with you this won't be our last time uh, we know that having future conversations would be a wonderful opportunity. Inviting uh, other faiths to this conversation, I think, would be a good next step. So thank you to both of you. I am grateful for your time. Thank you. I want to thank Dr. Amir and Rabbi Mark for joining us and to everyone for listening. To learn more about Rabbi Mark, go to worldwideweb.jewishideas.com and search Interreligious Bridges and Barriers. You can find the Providence Mission Leadership Institute on LinkedIn.